All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome to this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's been a busy, busy couple of weeks here with the quarterly reports coming in. You can, of course, get the latest on our sister news site, MassDevice.com. Chris Newmarker, the executive editor of MassDevice, is uh, tracking down all the big stories, including today's news that Zimmer Biomet would spell, will spin out its dental and spinal businesses. We'll get details on that later in the podcast. On Monday, I wrote about today's guest. I wrote about Corza Medical. I spoke with Greg Lucier, the executive chairman of Corza Medical. Corza announced its presence this week with the acquisition of Surgical Specialties Corp. It's combining that company with the Tacosil Surgical Patch product that it bought from Takeda Pharmaceuticals. And it's going forth as a surgical supplies company. And uh, in the interview here, Greg is not being shy about its intentions. He wants to take on the, quote, almost monopolistic, unquote, leaders like Medtronic and Johnson Johnson. So uh, it will be a company to watch. And I advise you to uh, to listen to that interview with Greg. It has, uh, of course, the medical has big plans and it has a, a lot of backing from uh, GTCR. So it certainly will be a company to watch. Before that conversation, we'll get into this week's New Markers Newsmakers. Of course, Zimmer Biomet found its way onto that list with uh, this morning's news. But we'll have other great uh, insights and updates from Chris Newmarker. I wanted to, uh, before we get into the conversation with Chris, I wanted to let you know that we have a full plate of Device Talks Tuesdays coming up. We're going to take the next couple of weeks off. Uh, we had a great one this week with Sagentia, and I'll have a little bit of that uh, later in the podcast for you to listen to. You can still catch that on demand. Go to devicetalks.com to check that out. But you can also register for our upcoming device talks with Quasar, with Finnegan, with Amplexor, with Photofab. We will have Naomi Murray of Stryker give a great presentation about additive manufacturing. It is going to be a great month of March. So please go to devicetalks.com to register. Now, without any further delay, let's bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Good to be here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's been a crazy Friday, and we're going to have a lot on the uh, Zimmer Biomet spin out. But, yeah. uh, but before we get into that, you know, we one thing I rarely ask people to do for this podcast is to comment and to rank us because uh, I, I hear that on podcasts all the time. I never do it, so I don't ask other people to do it. But I was gratified that on the Device Talks hotline, we we got uh, we got quite a, a comment from uh, from apparently a fan of the podcast. Uh, let, wow! Yes, gentleman who uh, who calls himself Flavor Flav. Hey yo, check one two. This is Flavor Flav in the building. Yeah, that's right. I got a nice surprise shout out going out to my man Tom Salemi. Yeah, that's right, Salemi baby. Congrats, Tom Salemi. That's right, Tom's podcast is off the chain. You heard me, you got me, you got me, you heard me. Flavor, flame in the building. That was awesome. You pronounced my name right, and we have a fan. Totally. We are off the chain, man. We are <laughs> off the chain. <laughs> uh, that, was, uh, that was from our, our company meeting. Our, our company used the, the Cameo service to have uh, several celebrities give uh, shout-outs to, uh, to employees who... Uh, 
who were selected for for some some great awards, including Nancy Crotty, is uh, you know one of two editors of the year at the company. And you know, there's somebody else on our team named Tom Salemi, who I, I guess he's the rookie of the year. Rookie of the year? Can you believe it? I'm like the Roy Hobbs. I'm rookie of the year. <laughs> At 51, I finally emerged out of nowhere and uh, and took the company by storm. It's, now, it's, it's crazy to think this is just your first year at the company because, I mean, you've you just <laughs> done so much. I mean, it really. Well, it's, it's awesome, been great. Man. And, I, and I gave you a shout out during the little comment there on the Zoom call. You've, uh, you're a great podcast partner. I couldn't be doing this and wouldn't be having nearly as much fun without you. So uh, thanks for. It's been a real blast. It's awesome, man. Got to get some more of our staffers on here. We had Brian on last week, but uh Got to share the fun. Exactly, yeah. And exactly what it is, too. We're having fun, man. We're doing it. So others who appeared uh, were uh, Paula Abdul and Cobra Kai's son, say Martin yes. Cove, who, according to Wikipedia, was born in 1945-46. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know how you could be born man. in one or the other. If he's just that mysterious a gentleman, we don't really know where, was, when he was born. He was born on New Year's Eve. And... Yeah, it was around there. It was right after the war. You know, I got back. I don't know. His, his parents were like, I can't remember. It was just all crazy. Like, you know? And I guess the guy from uh, The Bachelorette. The best part about that was that there were uh, people in our company who are uh, are in their 20s who were like, like what's Cobra Kai? Who is that guy? Like, like, like <laughs> you're going to get a tutorial on Karate Kid. It's great. And the uh, some who didn't know Flavor Flav either, which, uh, which I guess we we should expect, Man. but uh, it was a surprise, but that yeah. was a lot of fun. And I should give give shouts out to the other uh, other rookies of the year, Elise Ondak and Jay Hopper from WTWH Media. So I was one of three, and uh, it was a great honor. I'm glad uh, glad to be able to do it, especially after a year that started off the way it did. Oh, <laughs> well, so cool. Congrats, man. Thank you very much. And uh, if We'll uh, we'll move now into uh, what's a very busy week. We've got uh, a very, very strong top five. Not that they aren't all strong, but uh, boy, you got some big news here. So let's uh, let's hit number five on the New Markers Newsmakers list. Well, number five on the list is uh, Philips uh, introduces its medical tablet in uh, North America, Europe, and Japan, and. Uh, you know, really the you know the really neat thing about this uh, you know this this patient uh, this remote access to patient data tablet is that it's got a you know fully portable setup and so you know it looks like this could uh, really help uh, with uh, enabling a more uh, remote uh, remote monitoring of patients um, because it's not linked to a central monitoring station it could even uh, communicate through a, a Wi-Fi uh, connection I mean this is something that's really important especially these that's crazy days. yeah I know I mean so it's it's something that's um, you know really important these days especially amid the covid 19 pandemic so this uh, just uh, you know really uh, you know really cool uh, cool piece of uh, you know digital health uh, hardware coming out from Philips. Phillips is getting to be really fun to watch. They're coming up yeah. with some cool stuff. So great to have sure. that that on the top five. All right, what is our number four? Number four, uh, we've got another good old fashioned M and A deal. We've got uh, Cooper Surgical acquiring Agia Medical and its uh, water vapor ablation system. And uh, you know, it, this is a uh, this is an interesting system for uh, you know treating um, you know heavy uh, you know menstrual bleeding. And you know, it's uh, you know it's uh, you know ablating the lining of the uterus and uh you know agia has some um you know clinical trial you know data out you know showing that this um you know the system uh you know provided a great deal of help for you know women you know who were um 
you know, suffering from from this problem. And, uh, you know, Cooper companies obviously like the technology because they're they're acquiring it now. Let us uh, let us go into number three of the new markers newsmakers list. Hey, well, number three on the list, uh, we had a four. Magazine releasing their uh, list of uh, most admired companies in the world. And uh, well, 3M seems to be often in the top 50 of the list and they were back in there again. I mean, just besides, you know, being a major medical device company, they're, uh, they're just this, you know, giant multinational manufacturer like, with all kinds of materials innovation you know based uh based on the uh eastern side of the metro here in the twin cities where i where i live like a really you know big company from minnesota so i mean they were on the top 50 again but then you know abbott you know moved up into the t- top 50 of the list as as well wow. and uh you know really uh you know really seems to reflect you know like kind of all the work they've been doing to you know help with the the management of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, um, you know, including uh, them coming out with these Binax now, you know, fast antigen tests uh, that are on cards that are kind of like a pregnancy test. Uh, you know, they're those uh, card tests are kind of becoming uh, ubiquitous, and uh, you know, so so you know, Abbott, you know, be, you know, really uh, you know, moving up in the world when it comes to corporate admiration, and you know, and and, Great. You know, and I'd be remiss if you know I didn't mention that we had other uh, medical device companies making it down farther on, on the list. You know, we had Boston Scientific, Danaher, Medtronic, Stryker, you know, Thermo Fisher Scientific. So so really just. Just uh, you know, a rise in prestige, you know, for the industry, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're in the middle of this uh, this awful, deadly pandemic, you know, and we need you know devices to uh, to help manage it. Frankly, we you know need pharmaceuticals and uh, and vaccines as well. So you know, a rise in prestige for the the pharmaceutical industry as well, because you know we need all these uh, companies, technologies to you know get out of this pandemic and, uh, you know, get our lives back to normal. So some good news for the industry. All right. Well, that's great. And you're absolutely right. It's great to see uh, see our industry get in the spotlight in, in a positive fashion. Well, let's quickly wrap up the, the final two, because we actually are going to be talking about them at length in today's podcast. You know, number two on the list is something that you wrote. You were uh, you know, writing about, yeah, there you go. You got an article about cores and medical um, and, you know, how they're trying to like uh, shake up the uh, surgical space. I mean, like if you want to tell everybody about that a bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, well, I mentioned a bit at the top of the podcast and we'll talk with Greg Lucier about a new entity out there that's going to be selling surgical supplies and it's going to make a run at Johnson & Johnson, Medtronics and others with uh, some backing from GTCR the uh, the big private equity group. So uh, we'll let Greg Lucier tell the story in our second interview later in the podcast. Yeah, it's a really uh, really cool story. It'll be interesting to see how much they're able to kind of shake up that space and you know, what they're able to do. So hopefully get some more innovation going. And number one on on the big new markers newsmakers list. And number one on the list is we've got uh, Zimmer Biomet. Uh, you know they're spinning off their spine and uh, dental businesses. Uh, huge news here on on Friday morning, and uh, they're going to be uh, calling. It's going to be a new independently publicly traded company called uh, a Nuco. I mean, Tom. I mean, what do you think? Is that name going to stick, or are they going to? trouble they end up calling it spinetronic or spinetronic might be problematic i would go with yeah. uh, with with toothy spine or something like that maybe or uh try to find like some combination of latin words around spine and teeth or you know or you know something like that but yeah nuco that's that, that's Dentabra. Dentabra. I like it. I don't know. Yeah, we should we should <laughs> trademark that before they get it. But uh, but uh, yeah, you know, Nuco that makes up like thirteen percent of the current uh, revenues of Zimbra Biomed, and you know this this seems to be like a big part of the story of how Zimbra Biomed in recent years under under Brian Hansen, their CEO, has been uh, engaging in a, in a ton of reorganization. This just seems to be the next step. Let's let's you know create two companies you know that can each 
you know, kind of really focus on their spaces and be more efficient and, and lead. And, uh, you know, I, uh, actually, uh, had a, a good interview today with, uh, you know, uh, Richard, uh, you know, new editor at SVB Learning Research. And we'll be, you know, playing, uh, you know, that, you know, just a bit, you know, hear more from him, him about what's going on. Yep. Well, it's uh, you and I did a little bit of uh, good old fashioned reporting this morning. Well, not really that good, but we, we old fashioned. But we went through the head. We got on the Zoom. You know, yeah, you don't pick up the phone anymore. I got. <laughs> and I had to listen to an yeah. analyst call, so did, you know, we, it was hard. Yeah, we did some work. We did some work. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and folks will be able to enjoy. We'll 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 start off with the uh, some some snippets from the analyst call, and then we'll get into your conversation with with Rich Newwitter. Great job, Chris Newmarker. Here we go. So Chris and I are going to tag team this Zimmer Biomet news. I went through the analyst call this morning, listened to a couple of the questions, pulled out what I thought were some uh, some poignant answers regarding the spinoff. And then Chris is going to follow up. He actually did an interview just today with Rich Newitter of SVB Learing. He's the managing director of medical supplies and devices. So my first clip is going to come from a question posed by Larry Koich of Raymond James. He basically asked, why a spinoff? Why not a sale? And why now? Let's listen to Brian Hansen's answer. Yeah. So so the, the timing of it is, it fits right into the phases of where we look at transforming the, the business. You know, for us, it was sequential. We wanted to make sure that phase one in our transformation was in great shape, and, and it is. Phase two would need to be well underway before we'd want to take something like this on. And, and I think based on our performance over the last few quarters versus our competitors, you know, it's pretty clear that phase two is working quite well. And, and now it's time. You know, it's time for active portfolio management. And in a time when we don't have as much capital to work with, this is clearly one of the most significant ways that we can impact and influence the uh, the portfolio in a positive way for both companies. I truly do believe that. So that that's the uh, you know the, the why now, um, and, uh, and you know we're excited about it. We truly are. We're excited about it for our organization, uh, Remainco, and we're excited about it for Nuco. And uh, we'll be in it together for the next year, year and a half, and uh, and even post that. So so that's the uh, you know that, that's from our view the the why now. And we've looked at multiple ways to drive value with these businesses. Uh, just know that. You know, this isn't the only option that we've looked at. And just given the number of options on the table, we felt that this was the the uh, most significant way we could drive value for our shareholders, our, our businesses, and our team members. Bob Hopkins of Bank America followed up a little bit later, asking this a similar question. And I, and I just thought it was a, it's a big decision to spin off these two properties, so it's worth exploring a little deep, deeper. He basically said that these are su- two companies in smaller markets and smaller businesses, why not just sell the individual assets off to entities that have a larger presence in this space rather than keep them together and spin them off? Once again, we'll hear Brian Hansen's answer to the question. As far as the um, as far as the the spin and having both dental and spine together, if you're if you're going to spin a business, you want to make sure that it has a reasonable amount of scale. Obviously, for it to be a you know a viable publicly traded company, and we feel that a billion plus is kind of that number. And although there's not obvious reasons that you would look at from a strategic standpoint that those businesses would be together from a commercial perspective, there is a lot of capability and know-how and materials that are used for implants across dental as well as spine that that there is some value in. And so, so it was really more around the idea of scale and the importance of that scale and, uh, and utilizing those, those, uh, those competencies, if you will, and those raw materials that go across those two businesses. And that, that was the reason why we spun both together. Great. Well, I hope you enjoyed those comments from Brian Hansen. Now we're going to hear from Rich Newitter 
of SVB Larynx. SVB Larynx has asked us to read this disclosure before airing the interview. So the disclosure is the views expressed in this interview by the SVB Larynx research analyst are as of the date of this interview and are subject to change. For disclosures specific to companies in the SVB Larynx universe of coverage, please go to the equity research page on svblearynx.com. Now let's hear Chris Newmarker's interview with Rich Newitter of SVB Learning. Well, hello, I'm here with Richard Newitter of uh, SVB Learning Research. Uh, Richard, welcome to Device Talks Weekly. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I mean, I guess just to start, you know, we had Zimmer Biomet earnings out today. I mean, the big news is that they're uh, spinning out their uh, dental and spine businesses. I mean, what's your overall take on this? Yeah, sure. So, I Zimmer, the fact that Zimmer's spinning out those two businesses specifically is not all that much of a surprise to us. Part of our um, positive stance on, uh, on the stock and, and an important part of the thesis actually has been kind of what they're going to do next with portfolio management. And that includes potentially investing, you know, l- less strategic divisions and assets and, and spine and dental or, or certainly two that, that have been talked about in that vein for some time. So this is not all that surprising from an announcement standpoint. We never knew what the timing would be. So, you know, that was a surprise that it, you know, came now. But but again, we, we expected uh, the portfolio management aspect to the story really to heat up in 2021. And uh, it, it, we're encouraged that it is because, to, to be honest, that's the way that, that the company is going to continue to evolve the portfolio in a faster-growing end market and to accelerate the company's revenue growth and, and earnings uh, growth trajectory over the next several years. So this is, um, this is all in line with the strategy and our positive kind of thesis on the stock. And that, that's, that's really our high-level view here. I mean, I have the biggest thing that I was hearing from uh, you know Brian Hansing and the and the news releases and the and the earnings call was that I mean it's kind of like they've been engaging this major reorganization now for for a few years and kind of seems like the idea here is that you know like those spine and dental businesses can you know kind of like better focus on their own versus part of the whole company. So like these two new companies, you know, that you'll have two companies now where there's one and each will be able to it kind of sounds like they'll each be able to like focus better on, you know, on, on, on being more efficient on, you know, kind of leading in their categories. Yes. And, and we've seen this movie before. Uh, we've seen other uh, medical device companies that have kind of evolved their portfolios where a, a, a part of the story has been, to you know, divest uh, less strategic assets or, or assets that are either distractions or not as core, um, and and or uh, spin off those types of assets. In this case, it's spin off, um, and to you know reinvest in in areas that are strategic, faster growing, and core. Just uh, Covidian, which is now part of Medtronic, but but Covidian was one such portfolio management company, and you know coincidentally, that's where. Brian Hansen comes from. Uh, so it is kind of a page out of that playbook. But th- this is a formula for success that, you know, with the right leadership and management team executing, where we think Zimmer has that in place, um, th- this is going to yield, uh, you know, in- increase shareholder returns and create value uh, that otherwise, you know, better than otherwise would have been possible uh, with your organic portfolio as it's cut out. 
the orthopedic device space, there's so much competition in that in that space right now. I mean, where is Zimmer Biomet ahead on that? Where are they behind? Uh, you know, you able to give me a little bit of the lay of the land there? Absolutely. Uh, Zimmer is one of the only remaining true large cap orthopedic pure plays really that's left out there. And you're, you're correct in pointing out that these are competitive markets. All medtech markets are, are competitive for that matter. And Zimmer, you know, has basically, you know, been through uh, a, a number of challenges over, over the last five to six years, even longer than that. And, and they have been losing share pretty much across the board in every one of their businesses uh, up until around the time of, of Brian Hansen's and the management change that came with Brian Hansen taking over leadership reigns. The company kind of set forth after some major supply issues. Uh, they, they couldn't supply the market uh, due to some issues at one of their main manufacturing campuses. They kind of worked through that, stabilized the business, and then began to uh, move on to the second phase, which was you know starting to launch new products again, not just stabilize the business again across the board. Every division, these hips, sports medicine extremities, and um, you know we're 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 really kind of. In, in the period where these new product launches and getting on offense is starting to take form and the company was really accelerating and going from negative growth to actually growing close to or, or approaching, and in some cases above the end markets uh, in hips, knees, spine, and um, sports medicine, extremities, and trauma. But knees was, is the biggest product area for them. So that's one of the most visible and one of the most in-focus franchises. And that's probably, I would say, where the acceleration and the new product cadence has been most dramatic uh, to the positive and where you're seeing the biggest impact. And, and, and Zimmer has effectively gone from a share loser for almost a decade leading up to when Brian Hansen took over to a share taking position. And in this most recent quarter, their share gains uh, accelerated and widened quite, quite dramatically. And uh, I don't really see what slows that down. And they have a number of new products that haven't even launched yet that should probably continue that momentum into the quarters and years ahead. I mean, how are they grabbing share in the knee space? So a lot of it has to do with new product launches. Uh, the company has a new revision launch that really, really kind of uh, commercialized last year uh, in, in 2020. And that continues to... Um, uh, you know, to to be in the early phases of the ramp that can carry uh, the both higher uh, ASPs. So there's a or selling prices. So there's actually kind of a a shift towards higher priced products uh, within the new franchise, like the revision product and another product offering that's new in its launch, cementless knees. So faster kind of trends or growth in more expensive, uh, higher-priced product offerings. And then the company also, I probably should have led with this, has new robotic offering that's still in the early phases of launch too. And that enables them to potentially capture new accounts and, and surgeons that weren't necessarily using their products or not using their products as often or frequently. And there's a pull-through effect of using the robot with the, uh, with the implant. So think of that. Stryker's Mako robot has been such a success for it. I mean, is Zimmer Biomet's Rosa enough for it to, to compete against Stryker? Yeah, I think there's very much, a, and we've written about this, there's very much a rising tie situation here. You know, the robot piece alone, I, I, I think it's exactly like the, the, the Stryker Mako 
benefit. Uh, you get an implant pull-through dynamic that happens as your install increases, and, and Zimmer has been placing ROSA systems r- really over the last 18 months, and that is leading to an increased install base over which that they can start to capture incremental share, but also higher dollars per surgery because there's robot disposals that you know come with each of the robotically performed surgeries. So that's also a mix shift aspect too, in addition to the mix shift dynamics I described earlier, where it's not the only robots. You also have uh, new product launches in the revision category, in the cementless category, and they're going to have uh, in- increased indications on Mako in the coming months. So there's a lot going on in that knee franchise. And, and I would also just say one of the areas I'm most excited about that you haven't even seen yet uh, is uh, a new smart implant called Persona IQ. And that's probably going to start to be driving incremental revenue as you move into later 2021 into 2022. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. So, I mean, I mean, tell me more about uh, the Persona IQ. So this is a, a collaboration that Zimmer is pursuing with Canary Medical. It's a private implant sensor uh, company. And ultimately, the, the Canary implant technology, think of this as uh, something that goes into the stem or the tibial stem of, of the knee implant and can actually track how the implant's doing in the body, real-time life of that implant. All kinds of information can come from that. That's going to be extremely useful information in a variety of ways, both clinical, logistical, uh, maybe decrease the number of times a patient needs to come back uh, or show up in person in the office to actually being able to one day identify problems with the implant before they happen. And, And there will be a business model associated with this, both from a patient monitoring standpoint uh, that Zimmer and Canary will be able to capitalize on uh, that will be reimbursed, and then also the implant itself. So this is a really exciting kind of evolution in the future of digital surgery that will go hand-in-hand hand with a, a digital ecosystems that are that are being created, not just by Zimmer, but other companies too. Stryker uh, uh, recently purchased a sensor-based technology called OrthoSensor. They, they will not probably be, be to market with an implantable sensor anytime soon, but that is in the works there too. Zimmer and Canary will be the first. But nonetheless, this is the direction the ortho industry is headed and Zimmer Canary, uh, it appears to be at the forefront. So uh, I think it is a pretty exciting time for what I think will be an important important first generation of uh, sensor-based technology in orthopedics for time to come. Yeah, I was I was hopeful that we would be uh, you know getting more, you know, news that about about Persona IQ today and uh you know, in, uh, in Zimmer Biomet's earnings call. But, uh, but tell me if I'm right. I mean, there didn't seem to be much new today, but we're, I mean, we're hearing from Brian Hansen that we'll be, uh, you know, having some kind of launch this year of the Persona IQ, right? Yes. And we, we've actually uh, done some work on this area and written about it. Uh, again, it's not necessarily from the company, but our understanding is there are a couple of reimbursement pathways that Canary and Zimmer are exploring together. Uh, both uh, mainly around the implant itself and probably learn more about which they choose, you know, in the coming months. But I think both companies are hopeful that they can get an approval in the early part of 2021 and there will be a commercialization as you move through the year. As for when the revenue really starts to pick up, I mean, a lot will depend on how they secure their reimbursement for the implant. But I think that that's something will be in place from a reimbursement standpoint, certainly by the end of the year, maybe even sooner. So this could really hit the ground running hard in 2022 and see 
potentially meaningful revenue contribution as soon as late 2021. You know, when you're talking about reimbursement, could this be some kind of like bundling deal with with CMS where, you know, they're going to be, you know, the the, the health providers get rewarded if they have better outcomes because they're using the sensor? I mean, is is it something like that they're, they're driving for, do you think? Well, uh, again, our our research and conversations with Canary Medical and and other industry uh, participants um, suggest that it, you know, separate from from the bundle specifically, there will there will be a dedicated reimbursement pathway that these companies will probably be able to secure through one of two approaches: either an NPAP or a new technology add-on price, or a um, a relatively new like new as in 2021 new uh, pathway known as the MCIT route. So uh, that that's new territory, but it's something that the, it went into effect through the Trump administration and started January 2021. And it actually can allow for a separate payment specifically for a product like this, where each, um, each time the product's used, it gets a separate reimbursement above and beyond whatever the procedure is getting reimbursed already. So I think that's going to be crucial and, and very important to at least the early days of adoption of this kind of technology. And we're optimistic that a reimbursement um, pathway can be established for the implant. There already are codes in place for the monitoring aspect. That's the recurring revenue. Just think of that as you know getting, getting reimbursed for downloading and using the information that the uh, that's useful for uh, uh, doctors to to make recommendations and decisions that's already in place. So what I'm talking about is for the implant itself, and that's for the bundle and bundle payments. I mean, yes, over time, conceptually, you know, when we're thinking about managing costs for the healthcare system and the knee replacement surgery, there, there, I think ultimately a smart implant technology like this ultimately has that in mind. It's ways to minimize uh, complications with implants, to, to identify and stra- risk stratify patients to make sure the right patient's getting the right implant, and then also to make sure that, you know, patients are going to the right care setting and, you know, make sure the right patient's getting the right type of post, uh, post-operation therapy. You know, do all patients need physical therapy? Maybe not. Make sure that um, you're monitoring the patients and, and communicating and keeping the uh, the engagement between the doctor and the patient as effectively and efficiently as possible. This type of sensor technology, I mean, I suspect it's been around for years. You know, why, you know, why is this happening now in the, in the knee implant space? Well, Canary, Canary Medical is actually a platform-based sensor technology, and the development issues there are not just for orthopedics. They're doing, they're doing it across a number of potential medical device specialties. Orthopedics, is coming uh, first because, well, one, it's not a cardiac procedure. Uh, there's uh, an implant that's relatively adjustable to be able to put it in, and it was a pretty logical first medical device procedure to kind of start tackling this type of technology with. That probably first and foremost. And then why Zimmer, you know, Canary, I think just you know, wanted to go with the market leader. Uh, th- those would be kind of the, the 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 two responses to that question. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, you know, I like really uh, you know really interesting news out today from Zimber Biomed. Uh, Richard, uh, thanks for coming on to Mass Device. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Great job by Chris Newmarker. Before we get into our keynote conversation with Greg Lucier, the executive chairman of Corza Medical, wanted to uh, just share a highlight from our recent Device Talks Tuesday featuring our friends at Sagentia. The topic was virtual user-centered design, a new dawn, and it's available on demand on Device Talks Tuesdays. In this clip, Carl Hewitt, who is the design and innovation manager of the medical practice at Sagentia, answers a question from the audience. The audience member asked, how can you draw information to build around users if you can't get into the OR? Let's hear what Carl Hewitt had to say. Absolutely. Access to ORs is a real problem right now. But just to go back on our example with the the surgical loops that we were making, um, just to try and elicit some of that feedback. So for us, trying to characterize the voice activation for how for how the loop control would work was a big thing. When we think about the use case environment of the the noise around from cross chat between um, surgical peers or um, even the instrumentation noise. So we just had to get a bit creative because we weren't going to go and access physically. So we recreated. So in our anechoic chamber that we have, we put little speakers in, in different positions, music playing, representing the, the cross chat from people talking or the noises of instruments just to make sure when we're developing our algorithms that we can get them right. So just an example of maybe you can recreate some of that in-house situation in an actual OR to, to still allow you to develop. All right, it's great to hear from Carl Hewitt and Sagentia. Once again, you can subscribe or rather register for our Device Talks Tuesdays. The upcoming ones will start again in March, and you can watch all of our past seasons on demand. Go to devicetalks.com. Now let's hear from Greg Lucier, the executive chairman of Corza Medical. Greg Lucier, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Tom. So we uh, have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about your your latest uh, effort, Corza Medical, in a few minutes. But uh, I always like to start these conversations with with a bit of history and learn how our guests found their way into the uh, into the med tech industry. Take us uh, take us back to the uh, back to the beginning. How did you uh, decide that you wanted to spend your life in healthcare in med tech? You know, Tom, it was a completely improbable transition. Uh, I was running a electronic software business for General Electric in the railroading business of all things. Now, <laughs> this was uh, a business to optimize the movement of trains across the tracks to prevent the trains from running into each other. And Jack Welch absolutely loved this business because it was taking a very old venerable industry and putting new high technology on top of it. So literally after several years of running this business for GE pretty successfully, he called me out of the blue and said, you know, uh, we've placed this new CEO at GE Medical Systems. His name is Jeff Fimmel. Uh, I think you'd get along with him great. You should go up there and meet him. And if it all works out, figure out a way to take some of these concepts from what you did in railroading and put them into healthcare. And, and literally, <laughs> I was that's just about to make a joke. <laughs> no, that's literally how the executive transition happened into healthcare in my life. So what are the parallels between uh, modernizing railroads and, and modernizing healthcare? Well, like anything, pattern recognition can usually find the patterns. And in that era, which was in the late 1990s, we were just at the beginning of the electronic medical record, tracking data, trying to optimize the delivery of healthcare. And I wouldn't say that was too dissimilar than what we we're trying to do to optimize the movement of freight across a railroad. And so it led us to ultimately at GE in that era, acquire a number of clinical data systems, 
acquire a number of patient monitoring companies and, and melding that all together into something we call GE Information Technologies. And it ultimately ended up being a, about a $2 billion a year of business, very profitable. And at that time, a bit of a, a leader in the thinking about how you would use electronics and software to optimize that delivery of healthcare. Yeah, you, you seem to be in the early stage of, of that, of, of the healthcare information and, and later on with the personalized medicine. But uh, I do want to ask, we've seen, we always see or have seen folks from other industries come into healthcare with this idea that we've transformed airlines, we can do the same in healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. Did you have that sense coming in from the railroad industry that, gee, this is and not to make light of it, but it, this is a this is a different industry. It's more, more complex than I thought, or was it easier than you thought? What was that transition like? When I look back on it now, I'd say we did two things pretty well. And then I would also foreshadow something that happened several years later after I had gone to start in Vitrogen Corporation. But acquiring those patient monitoring companies and then linking that closely with clinical data systems that would be in the ICU, in critical care, that was a good idea. Moving that data from the bedside to the nurse's station at that time was a really solid way to get data more harmonized. Now, later though, and several years later, GE then made the move to try to get into overall enterprise management systems, competing against the Cerners of the world and Epics. And I think that was a tougher kind of endeavor for GE. Right. Mm -hmm. now that's, a, that's a tough field to crack. Uh, so what led then to uh, your decision to shift over to what was in first in vitro chain and, and eventually become life technologies? You know, I, uh, I had always wanted to run my own company. I wanted to see if I was any damn good or if it was just being in a very successful company at that time, like General Electric. And when I got a call to take a look at being chairman and CEO of a about a half a billion dollar a year company called Invitrogen out in San Diego. I was living in Wisconsin at the time. Uh, first of all, the weather was going to be a nice change. But second, <laughs> I was absolutely intrigued about life sciences, molecular biology, biotech. And this is in the early 2000s. And so, you know, to make a long short of it, uh, I, I took the leap. And uh, it was a leap because I was running, as I said, a pretty large company inside GE. And certainly I was going to do more in the future. Anyway, I just decided to bet on the future, bet on myself, and uh, off we go to Invitrogen. Did you already have interest in the field, or would you have taken the CEO job at, I don't know, a medical device, a more traditional medical device company, or go back to railroads? I don't know. Did you, did you know you wanted to get into that space? Well, I knew never to go back to railroads. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say in terms of a transition... I had always been fascinated by DNA and RNA and life sciences, even though I'm an engineer by training. What fascinated me, though, about Invitrogen at that time was that the research supply of reagents, of instruments to un, you know, de decode the genome, was all very nascent. Now, today, it's so fascinating to me, uh, some 17, 18 years later, the word reagent, it actually is known by the general population. But way back then, no one even knew what that word was. And yet Invitrogen at the time at a half a billion was one of the world's largest companies in that space. And so I saw it as a great platform to build out an integrated company that would supply research uh, centers all over the world with the technology they needed. 
Talk a bit about the the the, the change from it being in, in Vitrogen to Life Technologies. What was what was the larger motive behind that? What what did you want that company to be? So in Vitrogen at that time, from kind of 2003 to 2008 for a five-year period, uh, acquired a lot of companies in this reagent space, most of them being scientifically founded, smaller companies, 30, 50 million in size. And we had grown mm-hmm. to be about a billion and a half dollars in a very profitable enterprise. But we didn't have instruments. We were not in genetic sequencing to compete against Illumina. We were not in um, areas like uh, qPCR to do gene expression and other more sophisticated ways of reading DNA. So we went out and ultimately made a bet the company move and acquired a company called Applied Biosystems at the time. Applied Biosystems being a venerable company, using that word again, that actually was the very first company to decode the human genome. That's right. um, yep. So we, we acquired them, put the two companies together, and renamed the enterprise Life Technologies. So did the, the roll-ups in the in the uh, as of Invitrogen was acquiring companies. What was that process like? I'd have to think the the technologies are very different from one company to the next. That it wouldn't be as easy as, as buying a metal device and putting it in your salesperson's bag. That there's just a lot more of a, a complicated compilation. Is that accurate, or is it simpler than I think? No, it's a, it's a, again a, a appropriate question. So stepping back, we had a vision and that carried through all the way to Life Technologies when we renamed the company to create an operating system of life, to be able to have the technologies that would allow you to isolate DNA, read DNA, express DNA, move it into proteomics, move it out into the cells, et cetera. And no one, no company at that time had been able to assemble all of that technology. Now, to your point then, what we want to do, and we ultimately did, was create a sales force that had this toolbox, if you will, all scientifically trained that could talk about that operating system and then have a backup set of experts that could go deep on every vertical of science. Mm-hmm. And today, that is the model by which the successor company who we ultimately sold to, Thermo Fisher, certainly operates into the space. And how different was the culture of applied biosystems, bringing that into the into the mix? You know, both California companies, both uh, kind of entrepreneurial at the heart, one more engineering, the other more science-based. We were more science-based, applied biosystems, more engineering. Um, and the best move we made, though, to mesh those cultures was not sticking with any of those historical names, but renaming the company Life Technologies. And it got everybody on the same page mm-hmm. to look to the future and move forward. Actually, a great lesson for us, we'll talk in a little bit about Corzometa. What told you 2012, 2013, that it was uh, an opportunity to, to sell the company? Were you, were you looking to sell to anyone or did Thermo come knocking on your door and make you an offer that you ultimately didn't refuse? At that time, I was a uh, believer in the company. In fact, I wanted to buy the company. And uh, I would say that uh, I was one of the bidders with uh, Thermo Fisher. And uh, at the time, it would have been the largest leverage buyout in some time since probably Dell went private at that time. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Thermo Fisher was the more successful acquirer in terms of a higher price. And because I'm in the board, we're completely focused on fiduciary responsibility. They ultimately acquired the company for what still is, I think, the largest life science diagnostics acquisition in the history of the United States. Yeah, I was going to say a few months later, Covidian and Medtronic closed their deal, which uh, certainly was a, a larger medtech deal. But so 
that's uh, that's an interesting dynamic then, sort of leading a company in which you want to remain, but having it. So typically, these acquisitions are something that the CEO wants to happen. He wants to move on, or she wants to move on to another opportunity. What was that? What was that process like? Uh, you know, look, I, I've always viewed life as a book, and these are chapters. I had run the company for eleven years. We had built it up from a couple hundred million to over four billion. Um, we had outperformed the stock market by three plus X over that 11 years. It had been a smashing success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that that era of chapter of my life was now coming to a close was absolutely fine. I mean, clearly you've, you've found some other things to do going forward. So <laughs> you were uh, chairman of, of Nuvasiv when, uh, when Alex Lukianov uh, had, to, had to leave and you took over. I wonder what that process was like taking over a company which you were already familiar already sort of had a, a hand in guiding uh was it simple as just sort of grabbing the reins or, or was the transition bumpier than uh, than it might have looked nuvasive was a, a, a 700 million dollar company when i had to step in as chairman and ceo very suddenly it was not a planned uh, transition by any means i was just on the board and through a variety of circumstances, we had to make a change at the top. Um, and so here was a $700 million company, very successful, but one that hadn't uh, fully exploited the, the time of its growth to put in processes and capabilities to allow it to scale to several billion dollars in growth. And uh, I'd say the period when I was kind of between Alex and ultimately when I recruited Chris Berry to run the business we had spent a lot of time putting in place infrastructure that would allow this company to uh, continue to thrive and grow all over the world. And never easy, never a lot of fun when you're in that phase of a company's growth, but absolutely necessary. And today, when you look at Nuvasive, you know, it's a business that uh, the international side is growing double digits. It's uh, got presence now in many countries it never had before. Um, spends almost $100 million a year in R&D. And so, you know, I think the team can feel pretty proud that they created a company that has sustaining value now. All right, let's talk about your current project. You're the CEO of Corsa Health. You've announced this week that uh, you've acquired and merged a couple of companies. You've acquired Surgical Specialties Corporation and uh, Tacosil. That's right. Basically, you're creating a new company, Corsa Medical, which had briefly been Corsa Health. So now I'm getting my, my names all together. What is the, uh, tell us first a bit about what Corsa Medical will be. What are you trying to, to build here? You bet. Let, let me back up just so I can clarify the names and the like. So we formed a partnership with GTCR, a fantastic private equity firm based in Chicago, really one of the original private equity firms. And has a, a, an excellent track record, particularly in healthcare. And we formed a partnership in 2019 to go out and find companies that we could acquire and uh, ultimately do something pretty damn interesting in healthcare. Um, we now have ultimately acquired surgical specialties and, as you say, Taco Seal, a division out of Takeda Pharmaceutical. And we're bringing those two companies together into a new enterprise we'll call Corza Medical. And you know, the vision we have for Corza Medical is that um, we believe there is an opening for the creation of a pretty good-sized surgical tools and technologies company to compete against the Ethicons and Medtronics of the world. That the two of those companies have become so big in that space, so almost monopolistic with their bundling, 
that customers are looking for a choice where they can get that trusted value at an exceptional value with remarkable service. And, um, you know, that's what we're going to go do with Cores of Medical. And these two companies are an excellent start. Give us a pretty good sized company, about $350 million in, in sales per year to start. But mm-hmm. you're going to see us do a lot more on top of this platform. Well, tell us a bit about who you'll be selling to. Or you, in, in your, in be a little more specific as with your surgical line. You, you mentioned Medtronic. I mean, they've got twenty different businesses and twenty. Where will your, will your, where will your focus be in the surgery room specifically? Correct. So we're going to be focused in the surgery room with surgeons, with uh, operating room nurses and administrators. But we're not only going to be focused in the hospitals. Uh, you'll see us have a much more dynamic presence into these uh, ambulatory surgical centers, the more distributed locations of where the site of care is changing. And while we're starting with sutures and needles and hemostatic patches, you're gonna see us potentially spend billions of dollars to add not only into those categories, but into laparoscopic surgery, into uh, you know electrosurgery, um, and a number of other categories that would be traditionally serving those particular surgeons. It's interesting, and I don't know why I said surgery room and not operating room. So <laughs> sorry for for bringing that there. But so you're 350 million dollars now. You've mentioned that you're gonna you could be putting billions of dollars into this. What is what does Corsa Medical look like? What do you want it to look like three years from now or five years from now? What are we What are we talking about? I think we're looking at a company that has assembled extremely good technologies that link together to that particular general surgery call point but then also in some subspecialty verticals. Mm-hmm. For example, today we already have a very good sizable vertical in ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. So you'll see us do more of that vertical excellence deep dive. Second, we'll be very geographically diverse. We already are. We already have a very fast growing business in China, a very sizable business in Europe, and then of course here in North America. And so we'll be global just like the Ethicons are of the world. And then lastly, I think you're going to see us be very high growth because what we're going to do is promise our customers that they can get essentially as good a technology from a Johnson & Johnson, but they can get it at an exceptional value without having all these restrictions of a bundle anymore. So is the is the opportunity you're offering is the distinguishing quality that you're offering? Is it value in the product? Is it is it going to be a sales pitch or is it something else? I think it's going to be great technology mm-hmm. at an exceptional value. And this is now, I think, the most important differentiator is remarkable service. When you look at the history of surgical specialties, where we got the inspiration for this idea of remarkable service, they have been enormously successful by being very focused on the customer. And I can tell you that when we were in the business of acquiring surgical specialties, and we did more analysis on what's going on in the space, it became very clear that the professionals inside that operating room do not necessarily feel that they're being catered to, Hmm. that they're getting the customized treatment that they require. And that's how surgical specialties competed effectively. And that will become the hallmark for cores of medical going forward. So what does that look like? Are you talking about having more salespeople who are going to be in the operating room with them helping at every turn? Is it just, what does what that better service look like? So for example, as we now kick off cores of medical 
every one of our sales representatives around the world is writing personal thank you cards, just uh, telling their, uh, their um, customers about Corza Medical, thanking them for their business and telling them that they will be following up with a more detailed explanation of what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. a more personal approach. Second, um, we're going to be very much around customization. It's not going to be a one size fits all on our technologies. We're going to be willing to modify that needle, create a special suture in a simple example to allow that surgeon to get really, really what they want for the surgeries on how they do it. So does that customization come through a special digital manufacturing system that you'll have in place? Are you actually going to be making things or developing a proprietary system for, for customization or customization, customization of tools? Or are you, how, how will you achieve that? I think it's a super important question. And so the uh, infrastructure of Corza Medical is going to be, we hope, a real exemplar of uh, digitization, hmm. uh, where it is going to be digital from all the way out to the customer, all the way into the manufacturing and back out again. And that will allow us to have this dynamism, this flexibility to give the customer what they want each and every day. Is there a parallel to railroads here? Are you, are you modernizing a, a tried and true industry? You know, if there's any parallelism, it's uh, a little bit striking back to life technologies, mm-hmm. which at that time, everything was basically being sold kind of hand to hand to these labs all over the world. And this is obviously in the kind of 2008-ish, 9-ish time frame. And we said, we're going to build a giant e-commerce capability, which was a real head of its time. And we ultimately were transacting billions of dollars on an e-commerce channel way back then. And it enlightened me that if you're thoughtful in your investment and you're really focused on driving this digitization capability, I can tell you, I know we can outcompete the bigger guys by being a lot more thoughtful in that uh, capability of understanding where every customer is at any moment in time. And that's what we're going to be uh, intending to do. So will your customers see a difference in how they interface with you via a, a website? Will, they, will, will their experience with Corza be dramatically different than, uh, than Medtronic or, or Ethicon? Will, will, will it be a palpable visual difference? We think so. We think that between the website, between handhelds, between the attentiveness of our representatives to, you know, steal a page from what Federal Express did many years ago when they used to tell that story of one of their associates delivering a package to the North Pole and, you know, (laughs) getting the approval to do it. That's the empowerment we're going to have in our workforce with these incredible digital tools to ultimately compete. And, and final question, again, you mentioned that you're going to be investing in more properties going forward. If I'm the CEO of a company that might fit into your, your plan, what uh, should I call you? <laughs> Are you going to be looking for deals? How will you be putting that money to work? Uh, and do you already have a plan as to what other companies you may buy? And you're free to reveal them here, but I doubt that you will. <laughs> well, we have a good roadmap of what we want to get done, but I do hope that we are the acquirer of choice. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the, the appeal I can make to an owner, somebody who wants to continue on in the journey, is that we can provide them the resources, some particular expertise to allow them with their current business to become global, to become even more competitive by being in combination with what we're building at Corza Medical, and ultimately not be so corporate. Have a lot of fun on the journey along the way to create something entirely new and unique 
that we think in three to four years time, I think is going to be pretty special in the world of healthcare. Great. All right. Well, I, I have a feeling we're going to be having you back on the podcast to talk about your next deal. So I'll uh, let you go. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you, Tom. All the best. Take care. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this Device Talks weekly podcast. Remember, if you want to find Chris Newmarker on LinkedIn, look under Chris Newmarker as in a new marker. He's also on Twitter at Newmarker. I am on LinkedIn at Tom Salemi. In fact, if you go to my LinkedIn post, if you find me on LinkedIn, you can watch the entire Flavor Flay video where Elise and Jay are given their due as well. That was an edited bit of audio earlier in the podcast. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom and I am on Clubhouse at MedTech Tom. Please follow me there. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, your colleagues, your enemies. Let folks know that you're learning about MedTech, enjoying our stories about MedTech, and uh, just uh, finding this as a pleasant place to visit once a week. Be great to uh, see you on social media. Please do share this and uh, tag Chris and myself. We'd love to be part of those conversations. Finally, please do subscribe. If you subscribe to this podcast, you will receive all future episodes sent directly to you. You'll get them before anyone else. You'll hear them before anyone else. And uh, you won't have to wait for social media posts and articles on Mass Device. So just push the subscribe button on your podcast app. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere. Just, just take a look and you'll find us. That's it. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast waiting for you.